Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Hello, Christ Fellowship. Good morning to you this beautiful Sunday morning as here we are the Sunday before Thanksgiving. I can't believe that we're already here. It feels like yesterday we were in the middle of summer and now we're looking at Thanksgiving. We're also, one of the great things is we're also more than halfway through the New Testament, right? We, I think there's like nine books left for us to finish the New Testament this year. And today we're going to be focusing on two books. We're going to focus on Titus and Philemon, and they're actually letters that were written. Uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to ask if you've ever received a note, a letter, a card in the mail. Has anyone ever received one? Raise your hand. I love, 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 love getting cards. And I brought with me today just a little bit of the cards that I've collected and the notes that I've collected through the years. And I've received cards for different seasons in my life, words of encouragement, right? Uh, moments of grief, there were words to lift me up, uh, moments of correction where people wrote something to me. Uh, and in particular, I remember this one letter that I received many years ago. Now, Pastor Carlos says he's 25, so I'm going to say I'm 23, so it wasn't that long ago that I got this letter. But I was, I think, 19, 20, 21, and it was a challenging season for me. And I was in a relationship with someone that I knew I should not be in, right? And I just didn't know how to get out of the relationship. And it was just like, you know, God, I don't know what to do. I know I shouldn't be here, but I don't know what to do. And I have a cousin, very dear cousin, and she wrote the most loving six-page letter to me. And in that letter, she poured out her heart for me, how much she loved me, how much God loved me, what his purpose and plan for me was and how she wanted what God wanted for me. And it truly, I truly believe that that letter changed the trajectory that I was going on because I received that letter that she wrote to me. And she felt that that was the best way to express what she had to say to me in a way that I would receive it. And she was right, and I'm forever thankful for that letter. So if you receive letters, I encourage you to save them, go back to them, remember things. They just lift up moments. I have cards from my husband, from my children, from church, prayer cards, note cards. It's just great to go back and reread them. And so that brings us to the letters that we're going to talk about today, which are Titus and Philemon. And Paul wrote these letters uh, to Titus, and there he was sharing his thoughts, his concerns, wisdom with Titus and Philemon. And if you haven't read these letters before today, I really encourage you to go home and read them. They're very short. Uh, it 
won't take you that long, but there's so many little nuggets inside of these two books that I encourage you to go home and read them. Now, who is Titus? Well, Titus was an unbeliever that was led to faith in God by Paul. And he goes on to become an early church leader, a trusted companion of the apostle Paul and a faithful servant of the Lord. Titus travels with Paul, right? He goes with him from Antioch to Jerusalem, to Philippi, to Corinth. And years later, he travels to Crete with Paul. And Paul ends up leaving him there to continue and to strengthen the work that they had begun. Well, what work was that? It was sharing the gospel, sharing the good news with people. And Titus was left there. And we read in Titus uh, chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we read Paul writing, To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So that's the purpose. He's telling us why he left him there. And he sends this letter because word gets back to Paul that things are happening in Crete. So he sends this letter. So what, what was going on in Crete that would merit a letter from Paul to Titus? Right, so history tells us that Crete was known as an ancient world of immorality. They believed in many gods, lowercase g, Zeus being one of them. And what was going on was that the way they thought about Zeus and their little gods, they thought God behaved the same way. So they were mixing their beliefs, right? Um, we have this word in, in some Spanish countries where we say un popuri de cosa, a potpourri of things. They were just grabbing a little bit of Zeus and a little bit of this God and a little bit of this God with big God. And we figure if we mix it all together, we're good. We're covered. We're covered all around. So that was happening. There was also a movement, so to say, of women. They were finding their independence and their freedom um, to be independent and figure stuff out for themselves. So that was happening. And then, in addition to immorality running around, there was also a group of Jewish believers called the circumcision group that was causing issues with what was false teachings at the time. So all of this is going on in Crete at a time that Titus and people are there to try and establish the church and bring about what God wants done for his people. So that's the word that gets back to Paul, right? So he sends this letter. And as I read the letters, as I read both of them, four things stood out to me, four points stood out to me. And the first point that Paul wanted to make clear in Titus was that salvation is for everyone and is based on God's mercy and grace. Salvation is, was, and is for everyone. Salvation is not for a specific group of people. Salvation is for everyone. And we read in Titus 3, verses 4 through 7, we read, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, 
so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So godly character is not what saves you, right? Being good is not what saves you. Growing in Christ-likeness, yes, we should be growing in Christ-likeness, but that is not what saves us. We can't earn salvation. So if you are somewhere or you grew up believing that if you did X, Y, and Z, then you will be saved, wrong. That's not it. Salvation is for everyone and it is free. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have a way to God, the Father. All we have to do is repent and ask God into our hearts. And because of his mercy and grace, we are saved. That's all we have to do. It's that simple. We don't have to even be okay. We don't have to be right in our life at the moment before we can come before God and ask him to come into our hearts. We don't have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way. Our life doesn't have to be perfect, right? We grow up and we think by a certain age, I'm going to have a career, then I'm going to be married, then I'm going to have children. I'm have a... We have this whole plan of how we want things to progress. And we think that we need to be in a certain place, in a certain position right before we come to God. And that is not so. If you feel God calling you, that is to t- the time to go to him. You don't have to change anything about yourself. You just have to go before him and ask him into your heart. So the first one is salvation is available for everyone. The second point that stood out was sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. And the verse that I'm going to read, I took from the Amplified Bible because I just like the way that it summed it up. Titus 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach the things which are in agreement with sound doctrine, which produces men and women of good character whose lifestyle identifies them as true Christians. When people see you outside of these four walls, who do they see? What do they see? Because it's easy to come in here and know what to say. But what is our lifestyle when we leave here? What are we doing when we leave these four walls? Sound doctrine is so important. Sound doctrine is teaching that gives insight into what we should believe and how to live, right, the truth of the gospel in our daily life. And how do we get that? We get that by knowing what God's word says. That's how we get it. We don't get it from TV. We don't get it from the news. We don't get it from magazines. We don't get it from the internet. We don't get it from our friends. We get sound doctrine from the word of God. Amen. You may wonder why here we teach class 101 and 201 and 301. It's for that purpose. It's to teach sound doctrine, to establish foundation in your life so that you can go deeper into God's word and get to know him better, right? I was talking about this season or time that we live in of information is everywhere. Everywhere you turn, you can find anything. We used to have a running joke years ago with um, Pastor Gary. Be like, where's that verse in the Bible? And I'd be like, oh, let me go to Google. I'll find it for you. 
And it, I mean, you could just find anything anywhere. But the way to live our life and the sound doctrine, we're only going to find it in God's word. And that's where we should run to. It doesn't matter what a famous preacher on TV says. It doesn't even matter what I say to you here, what we say. It's what God's word says. That's where you should go to. I'm not saying you can't talk to a friend and go to someone and ask them to help you pray, but God's sound doctrine is from God's word. Amen? I want us to watch this video for a moment. The most repeated question by Jesus during his ministry was this. Have you never read? Have you never read? Underneath that simple question is a life-altering implication. You should read the Word of God. That's why Jesus also says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus knows that there is a spiritual hunger inside of every human heart that can only be satisfied by consuming the words of God. Christian, give yourself to the Word of God. The Word of God is a rock, strong and steady. It doesn't budge, break, or crumble under pressure. It's an anchor in the storm, keeping us calm when everything around us is chaotic. The Word of God is a mirror showing us who we really are. You don't just read the Word of God, it reads you. It's a treasure, beautiful in every dimension and worth every effort of discovery. It brings endless joy and eternal riches to all who find it. It's a fire spreading across the world to bring heat and light. It's a river bringing life and power to everything it touches. The Word of God is a seed planted deep inside of our hearts, producing the fruit of holiness and righteousness. The Word of God is a sword, dividing true and false, right and wrong, good and evil. It's a hammer, crushing what needs to be crushed and breaking what needs to be broken. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to show us our path. So let the voice of God be the first the last and the loudest voice in your ear today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life. Give yourself to the Word of God. Amen. If we could just grasp a hold of the power that we have with the word of God, if we could just truly, truly, truly understand what is in this book. It's, I remember years ago, I read a book, I think it was called Hearts of Flame. Um, It was about missionaries that were in different parts of the world and how they have to memorize scripture because if they're found with the Bible, they would be dead, right? Um, or they don't have Bibles. So what they have is a piece of paper where somebody wrote some of the Bible and they memorize it and they pass it to the next person. And that's how they get the word of God. And I think, and as I was preparing for this, I think in my home, there's like, each one of us has a Bible. My children have a Bible. We have extra Bibles. We have an abundance 
of the Bible, and yet what do we do with it? God's word is so important. If we just grasp a hold of God's word, if it was the first thing that we ran to in the morning, if it's the last thing that we see before we go to bed, if it's the first thing we run to when there's a situation or a circumstance or something going on in our lives, if we truly understood that everything that we needed was in the word of God, our lives would be different. Our lives would be different. Our city, our church, our country would be different because we would be living what God would want us to live. So I implore you to get to know the word of God. You know, I'm at fault at this too. There are moments where I'll turn over and the first thing I go to is the news. And I shouldn't. The first thing I should go to is God. And that's where we should be. We should be in the word of God. If we could just grasp it and memorize what's in it, just like these people, they're memorizing chapters so that they can share with others. Can you imagine that? And if we get a hold of God's power, it would bring us, or God's word, it would bring us to the next point that stood out to me, is that it would be evident in our lives because there would be godly living. And that's what uh, Paul is saying to Titus is godly living is the result of godly character bearing fruit in us. And it, this can only happen if we're connected to the word of God. We're not going to bear gr- good fruit if we're not connected to the word of God. It's just not going to happen. Are we living godly lives? Is our life changing for the better? Is our thinking changing for the better? Our attitude, are we the same as when we first came to the Lord. And for those of us who've been, you know, walking this walk for a long time, is our thinking getting a little stinky? Are we, are we following what's going on in the world and allowing that to impact us and that to be what our attitude is, is responding to? You know, are we looking more like the world who's looking hopeless, desperate, angry, hurt. Is that what we're looking like? Or are we looking like children of God? Are we living lives that resemble God? Can people see that in us? Titus 3 verses 1 and 2 say, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Peaceable, considerate, gentle towards everyone. I mean, ask Pastor Carlos, talk to me sometimes without a cup of coffee. You know, there's a warning, serve her a cup of coffee first. But, you know, how are we responding to people? Are we peaceable? Are we considerate? Are we gentle? You know, when I think of gentle, I think about how am I responding to my children at home? Am I being gentle to them? Are they seeing that gentleness in me? Titus 3.8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. 
These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. How many families have been torn apart over foolish fights? I mean, if we really sit down and think about it, arguments that really didn't need to happen, but happened because we wanted to get our point out, or the person just had to get their point of view across. The point of view was more important than the relationship. And are we careful, right? How many friendships may have ended, families torn apart, because what? Because we had to disagree or quarrel about something that at the end of the day doesn't matter? A lot of the stuff that we get upset about, that we argue about, that we walk around and we're mad at each other and half of us don't even know why they're mad at us about, don't matter. Because at the end of the day, what matters is, are we going to go before the king or not? Are the people that we're coming in contact with, are we a reflection of Jesus? Are we being a light, are we leading them towards Jesus or away from them? Is the last interaction that I'm going to have with someone going to be one that is a reflection of Jesus? Or is that conversation or something going to leave a bad taste in that person's mouth that they would never enter the doors of a church? I mean, those are the things that matter. All this other stuff is nonsense. Eternity is what matters. And where you and I and those around us, our friends, our loved ones, our co-workers, where they're going to spend eternity. That is what matters. So put aside the foolishness, the quarrels, the things that don't matter. Put them aside. They're unprofitable, and they are useless. Titus 3, verse 14 says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs, and not live unproductive lives. I have a quote here that I found from Billy Graham that says, make it your goal to become more like Christ by refusing to let sin have its way and pursuing instead that which is pure and good in the sight of God. Make it your goal to become more like Christ by refusing to let sin have its way. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2 says, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Are we doing those things? Are we testing what we're thinking up to the word of God to see if we're thinking the right way? Because let me tell you, this is the barometer. Nothing else but the word of God. And if our thinking isn't aligned to the word of God, then there's a problem and it's not the word of God. It's us. 2 Timothy 2, 15 to 16 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. 
Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Are we living a godly life? Are we truly living a godly life? Not checking off boxes. I read the word of God today. Check. I prayed today. Check. I did something good today or I smiled at someone today. Check. I'm good. No. Are we truly, truly changing? Are we reading God's word and then taking that and applying it to our lives? One of the things that the video says is it's a mirror. Are we holding the word of God up as a mirror to ourselves and saying, you know what? I need to change a couple of things. I need to maybe be softer, kinder, gentler, more forgiving, whatever it is. Are we living a godly life? It does nothing for us to read this and not apply it and not change. It does absolutely nothing for us. Good for you. Great. I'm glad you read it is what God is going to say to us. But if we're not changing if it's not impacting us, if people around us can't see that there's a change, then we're not allowing God's word to truly, excuse me, transform us. And now we move on to our fourth point, which was in the book of Philemon, and it's that God's grace, God's grace and forgiveness is what stood out to me. And Philemon, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 say, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to, I believe, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul opens his letter to Philemon with a statement commending God's grace and peace to Philemon. This reminder of God's grace is important because Philemon is going to need to show a great deal of grace himself. For the rest of this letter, Paul doesn't speak explicitly about the grace of God. Rather, he shows God's grace working in Philemon. Philemon uh, chapter 1 verses 9 through 16 says, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. In short, Paul is telling Philemon that he met Onesimus, who was a slave. He met him, taught him the gospel, and now he's sending him back to Philemon as a baptized brother in Christ. He appeals to Philemon to treat him as such and forgive him 
for the sins against Philemon. Now, we don't know what happened, right? We don't know exactly what happened. We just know, we know that he was a slave that left. And in that time, that could not happen, right? So it depends on what you read. Some say maybe money was taken. But at the end of the day, there was a broken relationship here, right? But one of the beautiful things that I want us to focus on is that we don't have to have everything figured out, like I said before, and resolved before coming to Christ. We don't have to have that. We have a high priest who's sympathetic to our struggles. He knows what it's like to be human, and therefore he extends his grace in our time of need. And this includes forgiveness, which is what was given to Onesimus. And that's why um, Paul is sending this letter to Philemon, right? He's received this forgiveness. There, it doesn't mean that things change, right? Because now here we're reading that there's a relationship that is broken that needs to be restored here. And Paul is sending this letter. So we too have many long-running challenges or things that we have to get right when we understand our need for God's grace. But we shouldn't let those things stop us from receiving God, right? Or accepting God into our hearts. So if, if you feel that something is stopping you, that you have to go and fix something, no. You have to fix your relationship with God first. And accepting him is the first step. Now, when you accept Jesus, it doesn't mean that everything that happened before goes away, right? It doesn't. There's consequences. There's things that are happening. Our repenting of our sins doesn't mean we come to God in a perfect spotless state that would undermine our need for God's grace. Rather, we come to God with a contrite and humble heart, acknowledging our past sins and resolving to be better in his name. This or that is the magnitude of God's grace. And that grace is what we need to show. The grace that God extends to us, we need to extend to others. And that's what Paul is asking Philemon to do. Philemon 1, 17 to 20, 21 says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And Paul doesn't know how Philemon is going to respond, right, when Onesimus comes back to him. But if we think like we do now, if someone has hurt us, and now you have a friend trying to bring that person back into our life, how are we honest, honestly initially going to respond? If that person hurt us, we're like, I don't want them coming near me. I don't want them talking to me. I don't want to have anything to do with me. They left. They did this to me. So... Uh, Paul is not understanding, you know, how Philemon is going to respond. So he's urging him and he's pleading to him to respond with grace, right? Because how would we react? Sometimes we want God to forgive us our wrongs, but punish someone else for their wrongs. We want forgiveness, but God punished them because they were wrong, right? We want God to be patient with us but swift to wrath with the other people because they deserve your wrath, God. 
I deserve your, your patience. I deserve, you know, you got to, to just hold on for a minute. I'm coming. But for that other person, Lord, get them. Get them now. <laughs> right? That's how, how we treat sin in people. We see sin in other people. And we want that, you know, they got to deal with that sin right away. I don't want that sin around me. They're wrong. They're this. But what about the sin in us? Oh, no. You know, God's working on me. Or let's not talk about that. But we want God to deal with it in someone else. So this is kind of what's happening here. But we should see sin the way that God does, as an opportunity for grace. Now, if you know about Paul, think about where Paul came from. There was no way that Paul could ever undo all the pain that he had caused when he persecuted Christians. He could not release all those that he had imprisoned. He had already done it. He could not bring Stephen back to life. He couldn't do anything about that. He could not undo the consequences of his past sins. Paul understands the greatness of God's grace perhaps better than any other New Testament writer because he experienced its extent firsthand. He experienced the grace of God over him when God grabbed a hold of him and changed his life. He knew what grace was like, and now he wanted to share that with others, extend that same grace to those around you. Are we doing the same thing? I know what God's forgiven me of. He's forgiven me of of a lot. God has been merciful and gracious with me. Am I extending that grace to those around me? People will mess up. We mess up. I mess up. I make mistakes. I hurt people. I don't do it intentionally, but it happens, right? So do other people. So let's extend that grace. It's not important for us to know whether or not Philemon released Onisman, that doesn't matter. The important thing is that he repented and he followed through with a change. And that's the same thing that's important for us to understand. God's grace is great. And this letter in Philemon exemplifies the depth and the extent of God's grace. It shows us what it means to live that grace. Sin is terrible, absolutely. But man, God's grace is so much greater. When we see sin in people or we deal with people and what they're coming to us or we encounter them in, can we extend grace? Can we extend grace to people? You know, we come in contact with a lot of people at work, at home, in school, if you're in school, here, when we open our doors and we have hundreds of people walking through here, can we extend that same grace to people? Whether or not we agree whether they should be here or not or what their situation is or what got them there. I can't help what got them there. I didn't meet them before they got to us. They're getting to us as they are right here, right now. Are we going to extend grace to them at that moment, just like grace has been extended to us. Now, I want us to take a moment right now. I want every eye closed. I want us all 
to sit here and reflect for a moment of where we are. So every eye closed. This is between you and God right here, right now. Maybe you're sitting here and you've been waiting for the perfect time, the perfect moment to get your life right and say, you know what, God, I'm ready to accept you into my life. And I'm here to tell you that there is never a perfect, you will never be in a perfect place to accept Jesus, but right now is that perfect time. So if you're sitting here today and you want to accept Jesus Christ into your heart, then I encourage you to stand up where you are. Like I said, this is between you and God, no one else here. And then I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I'm going to ask you to take a step forward and come forward. And I'm going to ask uh, pastors and elders if you could please come forward. So bring, take a step forward, come forward. It's okay. You can come on down. Pastors and elders, if you could come on down. And our pastors and elders will pray with you for you to accept Jesus into your heart today. And while we're doing that, for the rest of us here, it's a moment for us to reflect and do a heart check. Where are we? Through all these years, has our heart gotten hard and cold? Where we once were full of grace for people, do we just see that, you know what, people don't change and they're just going to do the same thing again and we've, we've gotten bitter we've gotten angry or we've gotten hurt or we just don't see people the way that God sees them. Where are you today? Where's your heart? Are we extending grace? Are we extending love to those that we come in contact with? If you're sitting here today and you're realizing, you know what? There's a couple of things in me that I need to change. I've been forgiven of much, and I want to extend that grace to those that I come in contact with. I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are and just allow God to do his work to heal whatever may have caused that pain Maybe we don't know what it is, why we are feeling the way that we are. Then this is your moment between you and God to say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I want you to change me. I want to be a reflection of you when I speak with people, when I come in contact with my family, with my friends, with my coworkers. 
Now the altar's open. This is your moment. You come and you surrender to God and you allow God to do what he's going to do in your heart. Father God, we just thank you, Lord God. We come before you this morning, Lord God. And Father God, we just ask, my Lord, that you would search our hearts today, Father God. My Lord, if we have become hardened and callous, Lord God, and unloving and uncaring and hurtful to those that you put around us, Lord, we come before you and we ask that you forgive us, Lord God. We give you our hearts this morning, Lord, and we ask that you would transform our hearts, Lord God. Make us into your image, Lord God. Father God, where we would extend that grace, my Lord, that you have extended to us, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for your mercy, for your grace, for your love, for your compassion, for your forgiveness, Lord God. And we just pray this morning, my Lord, that we would be a reflection of that to those around us, Lord God. That the first thing we would do, my Lord, is love, Lord God. That the first response, Lord God, would be care and concern and gentleness and kindness, Lord God. Love those around us. Love those that you put in our path, Lord God. That we would be a light, Lord God, for you, that we would be a reflection of who you are, my Lord. I pray for those of us, Lord God, who just maybe don't get it. We, we have the word of God, my Lord, but we don't run to it. I pray that you would put a desire in our hearts, my Lord, to run to that word, Lord God, that your word, that you would give us eyes to see it in a new way, that you would give us ears to hear your voice in a new way, that you would soften our hearts, Lord God, to you. Attune our ears to your voice, Lord God, that we, my Lord, would walk out of here, Lord God, that we would impact those around us, Lord God, that we would remember that eternity is what matters, Lord God, and where people are going, where our family, where our children, where our loved ones, where our friends, where everyone is going, Lord God, eternity, that that should be our focus, Lord God. We love you, my Lord, and we thank you, Father God, for what you are doing in our lives. We surrender to you today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day and have a happy Thanksgiving. Love you all. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.